Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Avi Havivi's weekly Sidur class. Background again, first bracha of the Shema Birkat Yotzer, which is about light and nature. God is creator of the universe. God's rachamim, or womb feeling, compassion for us, is evidenced through the light, the cycle of nature. But the us in Birkat Yotzer is, of course, the whole world. And then in this paragraph, Ahava Rabbah, the second blessing of the Shema, God's rachamim, womb feeling, compassion for us, is, uh, flows to us, I'll say, through relationship. And the manifestation of that relationship is instruction, guidance, Torah. Um, and the us, in this paragraph, of course, is the Jewish people, because the Torah is for us rather than for the whole world. So we have universalism in the first blessing, more particular in the second blessing. They're both embodiments of God's compassion. God relates to us as creator. The first blessing, evidence for that is the light. In the second blessing, God relates to us in relationship through love, and the evidence of that is the Torah. I just want to point out to everyone that Torah means two things. Well, it means at least two things. Um, It means the Torah, right, a particular book, and it also means instruction or guidance. Actually, in the Torah itself, in the Chumash, the word Torah almost never refers to the Torah with a capital T. It almost always refers to instruction or teaching. Um, The other thing I want to point out, I think someone said this, Vered must have said this a couple of weeks ago, that the root, which relates to Avarabah, the Hebrew root, which is the root of the word Torah, is also the same, which is the root which means instruction or guidance, is also the same root which means parenting. Is that correct, Vered, right? Yes. The root is Yud, Reish, Hey. Right, Yara, which means to 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 throw with a directed kind of throw, which thus ends up meeting, I think, guidance or directing. Um, also, the word moe, yeah. moe yes. comes from me. So I, I take it back. Parenting probably doesn't come from that. Parenting probably comes from hey, reish, hey. I take it back. Okay, so it's the word that means teacher, uh, guide, like a mo, your mo, in, when you go to Israel, your guide is called a more derech, which means the path instructor, right? Um, journey instructor. Um, and it's the same word that means to teach. Um, and that's the root of the word Torah. So Torah literally means teaching or instruction. Instruction. Instruction or guidance. Uh, isn't that that a rabbi can be yore, yore, yadim, yadim? Correct. means to give instruction. This to give instruction, right? Okay. To give instruction. So this is all background. I'm now going to just retranslate the first half or sort of five-eighths, and then we'll get to the new stuff. With a great love, you have loved us, Hashem, our God. 
were great with a great and abundant mercy, you have mercied us. Avinu Malkeinu, our parent, our sovereign, for the sake of our ancestors who trusted you because you taught them laws of life, or eternal laws. So may you also be gracious to us by teaching us. So you taught our ancestors. Please also, you were kind to them to teach them. Please do the same thing for us. Teach us. Avinu Avarachaman, I will now gen- translate with gender, our father, the Wumi father, who is Wumi, have womb feeling for us. Rachem Aleinu, have compassion for us. And we talked about this a lot last couple of Okay, we're continuing. Um, to hear, learn, and teach, Lishmor Vlaso, to observe and keep, Ulakayem, and keep, all the words of your instruction teaching lovingly. And again, we said lovingly could be either God, could you please lovingly place it in our heart? Or could you place it in our heart that we should do all these things lovingly? Yeah. The adverb can apply to what God does or to what we do. Illuminate our eyes by means of your Torah or instruction. Larry pointed out that the, there's the or in the, first, in the first blessing and the or in the second blessing. The or in the first blessing is literal. It's the light of the world. And or in the second blessing is metaphoric. It's a teaching and a wisdom Torah. So illuminate our eyes in your Torah, and cause our minds to cleave to your mitzvot. And unify our hearts or make our minds single-minded, right? To love and reverence your name. Um, I think the V here means so that we will never, ever be humiliated. Those who know the, ver- the, the um, version of this from the song, which I suspect comes from like the Israeli Hasidic song festival in 1960-something. Who knows where that melody is from? But if you know that one, then it's the words are a little different. It's Vilonevosh, Vilonikalem, Vilonikashel, Leolamva Ed. So there's three different verbs, and that's because that is the Sephardi version of this paragraph. In the Sephardi or Mizrahi version of this paragraph, it says Vilonevosh. Which means so that we will not be humiliated. And we will not be humiliated. It's just sort of a nikalem and nevosh means sort of the same thing. means to stumble. Okay? So that we will never be humiliated or stumble ever. So basically, this idea is if we are single-mindedly devoted to love and reverence God, 
presumably because we have studied Torah, then we will never be humiliated or maybe a weaker version of that is at a loss, overwhelmed, maybe overwhelmed, never be overwhelmed or stumble. Now, I just want to pause and say, what does that mean and why might that be? Like, does that mean nothing bad will ever happen to me? I'll never be confused and upset. And obviously can't mean that because that would seem to imply that, oh, if you study Torah, it's like a 100% shield against, you know, everything. But obviously can't mean that because even people who study Torah have all sorts of things that happen in their life. Death, disease, poverty, pandemic, etc. So any thoughts about that? Is that a Meyer? Meyer. I guess, I, I mean, I think that bringing the root of the word Torah to parenting to me helps me so much. Yes. In the sense that every parent, we would say, this would be a prayer that we would say for our kids, right? Yeah. All the things that we wouldn't have to come to them. And, and it's the same thing, I think, that, that again, Abinam al and, so, uh, so it's like a hope. Are you saying it's like a hope? Yeah. Ah, got it. So not literally, if we study Torah enough, none of it will never be humiliated or stumble, but rather it's a, it's aspirational. It's a hope that it gives us the guidance so we never be humiliated or stumble. Okay, good. That's one thought. Other thoughts? Varit? Maybe towards the other people. Go ahead. So that we are ambechira. You know, so we are, um, they cannot look at us, they, the other people that we, the other nation, and be humiliated in their face uh, regarding our belief in Emunah. Okay, got it. It's sort of the flip side, by the way, of stuff that we are reading now in Sefer Dvarim in our weekly Torah reading. I don't know if we read it last week or next week. It's over and over again. Moshe says it, that other nations, because if you keep this Torah, other nations will look at you and they will admire you. They will say, Rak am chacham v'navon hagoy hagadol hazeh. Wow, this is a wise nation that they have this Torah. Okay? Uh, Jonathan? What does nevosh mean again? Be humiliated. Shame. A shame. Here it translates, we'll never be brought to shame. That's a good enough translation, to be ashamed or humiliated. Ash- I guess, uh, that's what I want to ask you, Avi. Is, is David. This, what does it mean that if we do this, we don't have shame? Well, that was my question. You can't you can answer my question by asking the question back to me. <laughs> I'm a rabbi. I can do that now. Okay. Okay. I mean, I mean, what does it mean to have an absence of shame? Because that's something that's so prevalent in, in Jewish prayer, that, that we should not be shamed either by ourselves or by our family or by others or by God. And I, I don't know. I just find it's very powerful that, that when we pray this, that, that we have a not, not the bad shame, like we're shamed by others, but um, a sense, I don't know, the bad part of shame, like where we feel that... Uh, what is the bad part of shame? The bad part of shame is uh, uh, it's a bad emotion to have that takes a long time to work through because it's not a productive emotion overall. Okay. You're getting very psychological here. 
Well, you're a psychiatrist. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> By the way, in, in Judaism traditionally, where are you supposed to? Are you never supposed to have shame? Where are you supposed? To, times that you have shame, I'm just. But where are you supposed? But where are you when? Where are you supposed to have shame before God? Before God, yeah. Like in Tachno, and you say, "Hey, man, I'm nothing. I have nothing. I'm de- right. Yeah, I'm nothing. It's not because I got something. I got nothing, right? So this is saying, I think, but we should never be shamed. It, it, it doesn't say it. Ex- I guess explicitly, I I have always assumed it to mean we shouldn't be shamed in front of other people. If I if I live, I think it's saying if I live according to Torah, I again you can disagree with this premise, but I think the premise is if I am a Ben Torah, if I live according to Torah. Again, it's not just now we're talking. We we said lishmor lilmod lame lishmor v'lasot ulkayem. Right, it's not just I read Torah. It's if you live Torah, if you hear, are wise, learn, teach, and fulfill Torah, then there's no shame. No matter what happens, you won't be ashamed. And I guess I'm posing the question. Why might, why might that be? What's the paragraph trying to express? Meyer, you want to try again? Or some more? Yeah, I was also thinking that you know, shame is heavy judgment by others. Yeah. And if you grow in your learning and you develop confidence, then you aren't going to have suffered from the judgment of others so much as the judgment of yourself, which explains also why you have shame in front of God, because there you are sitting in judgment. Okay. And also, David? I guess going back on what I just said, I mean... The idea of shaming yourself, it takes years to work through the self-judgments that we put ourselves through. So one of the ways, if, if Torah is allowing us a path to not feel that way, it can open us away from judging ourselves so harshly to, again, psychological, to be able to be yeah. more open to being in the world as it is, not the world that our minds create for us. And I think the idea is Torah gives you instruction in what to do and how to live. So we could simplify it and say, well, I'm going to be very simple about it and say, well, if, if I have guidance, if there's guidance that helps me choose the right thing, do the right thing, right? If I may quote the name of a movie, uh, which is shockingly contemporary, um, I just, my family and I, we just rewatched Do the Right Thing, the Spike Lee movie about a month ago, a month and a half ago. I think it's 30 years old. And it's just shocking how I encourage people to rewatch it. It could have been like ripped from the headlines today. Right. And read James Baldwin's 1963 article in The New Yorker. It could have been written yesterday. Got it. Good. Thank you. So basically, if you do the right thing, life won't necessarily go well. It's no guarantee that things go well. Right. But you won't be ashamed of yourself. Right. Before people. Right, so it's some. It seems to be some sort of uh, um, recipe. I don't know for for living with integrity and dignity. These are some of my thoughts. Any other thoughts anyone wants to add to that before we go on? I want you to mull. I want you to mull that over. David Novak sounds like David's been mulling it over for a while. So this this is worth mulling. We're not going to answer today. But what does that mean? That if you embody and live Torah that then there's no shame or humiliation. 
Okay. Ki v'shem kojicha ha'gadol v'anarabatachnu. Well, this could be an answer to my question. Because we trust in your great and holy name. Nagila v'nismecha bishuatecha. We will rejoice in your salvation or uh, the implication is we will rejoice, be able to rejoice to actually see your protection or saving. Deliverance, that's a nice enough word. Okay. But again, I want to raise the, the issue like, oh, I don't know. Is that really literally true? Like, I don't know. Like not for the people who went to the gas chambers, right? That It didn't turn out that way. Who might have davened this every day or not. So does So does... Keeping God's words and, and, and worshiping God's holy name, does that actually really bring deliverance? Is it just aspirational? Does it mean something else? Is it a lie? just want to raise all these questions. Paul, unmute. I don't have an answer, but um, it, it does sound aspirational to me. Just like, um, I mean, I'm kind of stuck on that morbid example you just gave us, but I, it's still seems like it's clinging to some, it's, it's more of a hopeful, uh, you know, clinging to hope. Yeah. I, just, I also wondered, um, for those with better Hebrew, if, Avi, if you could, um, the, the distinction between Gila um, <clears throat> and, like, it's, like, it's sort of joy versus happiness, Nagila um, v'nismecha, is, is, what's the nuance there? That, you know, what's, how's that not redundant? Yeah, well, if you... If you wanted to know the nuance, you'd have to look at some psalm which uses the two things as parallel verbs in two halves of the verse and say, oh, is there some difference? Uh, I don't have an answer. Vera, do you have an answer? I normally translate Megillah from the word joy yeah. to be joyful, and Samea means to be happy. So it's like, as you know, uh, we also said, you know, that we can read this as poetry and sometimes in poetry, you know, to make it then they do the same verbs <clears throat> in, in different, the same idea, you know, they put rhymes, they put the same verbs to make it more. But Nagila is to joy and Sameach is to be happy. It's, it's a good question, Paul. I don't think here it has some thrust to it. I don't think it means like, ah, there are two kinds of joy. Although, of course, any commentator would say, by the way, commentators don't believe in parallelism. Traditional commentators don't, they don't believe in like, well, the poet just has two synonyms and he likes to use both words. They would never say that. I'm sure traditional commentators will say, well, Gil is this and Simcha is that. But I'm not sure that it really inherently has some thrust here Suggesting that you, if you do this, you will have two different kinds of joy of rejoicing that are different from each other. But I'll mull that over. Okay. By the way, I want to point out that both times here we reverence God's shame name, and we will trust in your shame in your name. Um, and there's a lot of times when we don't talk about God directly. Right? It doesn't say we'll trust in you or reverence you. It says we'll trust in your name, reverence your name. And I just want to 
float that out there as what does that mean? If it, God's name is very often used as a placeholder word meaning God, but it doesn't mean God. And it could mean God's reputation, God's essence. The name is the essence. I just want to put that out there. It comes from, it comes from the Torah. I'm not sure. I'll get to you in a second, Larry. I'm not sure the... Um, I'm not sure the Sidur understands it the same way as in the Torah, where it comes from in the Torah, like a big place, again, we're in the middle of Tvarim, Sefer Tvarim. Um, Sefer Dvar, the theology of Sefer Tvarim, Deuteronomy, generally says, God came down from on high, God gave us the instruction, and then God went back to the heavens, and what is left here of God are two things. God's divarim and God's shame. God's words or teaching and God's name. God went away. What we God is in the Shemayim. You can pray and that goes up to the Shemayim. And so shame is sort of somehow some residue of God's presence on earth for Deuteronomy because God isn't actually present on earth. God is up there in the heavens. Now, I'm not quite, I don't don't know that the Sidur understands shame in the same way, but I just want to sort of point that out. It could have said, but it doesn't say that. It says, okay? And it could have said, which it does say other places, right? But it says, we, 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 we trust in your shame. Larry, you want to say something? Yeah, you may have to take another week, but I won't take time. But I, what you said about not using two different words, um, um, I forget how you concluded it. It strikes me that this whole, this whole prayer, this whole blessing is a word puzzle. Uh, I'm just struck by, we started off talking about the double use of ahava, ahava, ahavtanu, and then chemla, chamalta, and then there are a whole series of combinations of words throughout, I won't mention them all, um, but we talk about lishmoa, then we go to Paris, lilmod, ulilameh, lishmor, ulilaso, yeah. the end of the... And then there's the then there's the not quite the same thing. The different well the 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 air that I mentioned and, and the debate we've got the eyes and the heart. Um, both are knowing organs according to tradition, which is another line I like to go over. It just seems to me that there's like almost no spare words here, and we go back to use of words and different forms of words for a reason. I haven't figured them all out or even come close, but um, I think that every word in this in this particular prayer is there for a particular reason. There's no, nothing extraneous. And I guess I would respond to that by saying, so, so I'm going to just uh, overly simplify what you said. You said in a very thoughtful way. I'm going to overly simplify and say, this is a very poetic description where words are chosen carefully to meant to illuminate which is which feels to me my reaction to what you're saying is which feels to me different 
than the first bracha, Birkat Yotzer, because in Birkat Yotzer, all the author needs to do is actually talk about the world. It's the world itself that is, nature itself is magnificent and varied. And so I, as the poet, I don't have to be particularly subtle or thoughtful. I'm just marveling at what it is that I see or imagine, you know, the Ofanim and the Chayota Kodesh and they're singing, whether, whether they're, you know, real, imagined, whatever. All the poet needs to do to be, I'm going to say uplifting, is just talk about the world as it is, right? So, you know, all I need to do is go out to my garden and look at the tree and hear the birds chirping, right, during the first bracha. And I don't really need anything else to make me devotional. Let's put it that way, in the way that the bracha is supposed to be about, I think. Whereas um, it might be very easy and static to just say, God's Torah, thank you for the Torah, right? Uh, which would be kind of a blah way to talk about it. And perhaps the poet is using language here to get you to think about, it's about learning, it's about teaching, it's about receiving, it's about doing, maybe it's about two kinds of joy, I don't know, which are an antidote to three kinds of shame, again, in the Sephardic formulation. Um, So, yes, I'll just say thank you and yes and maybe and yes and there's a lot to mull over there. But we're not going to let it slow us down. Okay, and then just as at the end of the first bracha, we have a future-looking thing, or chadash al tzion ta'ir which we said the Sephardim following Rambam and Sa'adya don't say because they feel it doesn't belong, cause a new light to shine about Zion, the idea of... of future redemption in the first bracha. We have that in a longer form in the second bracha. So we have all this stuff, okay? Which now seems to be an abrupt change of shift, I'd like to point out. We're talking about Torah and instruction and fulfillment, and all of a sudden it's in-gathering of the exiles. Gather us in from the four corners of the earth and for those who observe the minhag of taking your talit around you, that's when you gather your four tzitzit in your left hand, right? When we say gather us from the four corners of the earth, and bring us uprightly to our land, ki el poel yeshuot ata, because you are the deity who does deliverance. And we had just the last line. So we've somehow um, slid or elided from, if we do your Torah, we'll never be humiliated. We rejoice in your deliverance, which kind of fits, like I'll never be humiliated. It means the opposite. I'll be safe or delivered, Yeshua. And now the Yeshua is national and in history, and it's about the Mashiach Tzayt and in-gathering of the exiles. Okay? Why can, why can we legitimately expect this? Because you are El Poel Yeshua. You're not just an instructor God, which we've been talk, teaching God, which we've been talking about throughout most of the paragraph. You are a saving, protecting God. And you chose us 
from all peoples. Okay, so this is a different way of the, the Baharta, which is the first time we've seen this verb. It's a different way of stating the first line, the Ahava you loved us greatly, which in this context now, now that I'm reading this line, Bana Baharta, Ahava seems to mean you loved us the most. Okay, it's like people getting married. You loved me the most. You picked me. You could have picked anyone, but you picked us, okay? And we're not going to talk today about if you are theologically troubled about the idea of chosenness, because we don't have time to talk about that today. But what embodies chosenness in this paragraph? What's the proof of chosenness, of Israel's chosenness? Very simple, this is not a hard question. It's not a trick question. Torah. Torah. We got the Torah, right? We got the Torah. You must have loved us most of all. So you chose us. So we're now saying, hey man, maybe you could pay off on that. Now, gather us from the four corners of the earth. Okay. You chose us. Okay, the choosing here, I think the V of Vikeraftanu, I don't think it means you chose us out of all nations and brought you close to your name. I think it means. You chose us out of all the nations by bringing us close to your name. In other words, the chosenness is embodied in the fact that we got Torah. Meaning, the chosenness is not embodied in we are intrinsically better or we did anything. Again, Deuteronomy says, it's not because you're the biggest, it's not because you're the strongest, why I chose you. It's just because I fell in love with you because your ancestors were loyal to me. So I made a promise to them, okay? So you may have trouble with the idea of chosenness. I don't, I don't mind that. But at least I want you to understand what the chosenness is based on. It is not based on intrinsic worth. You chose us to bring us close to your name. Again, whatever, something there. So there's some connection here between Torah and name, okay? Because of course the Torah is constituted in instructions which are made out of words, and the words brings us close to God's name. Um, By the way, the reconstructionists change the Torah blessings. Uh, The first Torah blessing, Asher Bachar Banu Mikol Hamim, you chose us from all the nations, which is the same as this line. The Reconstructionists say, Asher Kirvanu La Avodato. Baruch Hashem Baruch Hashem Elokeinu Asher Kirvanu La Avodato Vinatamlanu Etorato. Rather than saying you chose us, it's you brought us close to your. Service worship. It's not a contradiction, but it's highlighting that you brought us close as opposed to you picked us. Okay? So they they picked the second half of this line rather than the first half. Why is there Lashon is a good question. You picked us, Larry, who would have to say every word is, is picked, you know, for intentionally this in this would have to have some reason. You selected us from every nation and language, right? Is it just kind of a poetic redundancy or is it something about, you know, is it hinting at 
Torah, which is given in Hebrew, which is seen to be the holy language and the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet uh, underlie the whole construction of the universe in Kabbalistic thinking. So I don't know. It's a good question. Meyer? A couple of thoughts. First is with respect to the... the Wait, do you have an answer about language? I, oh, about language. Does anyone have an answer about language? It's a good question. So it's, it seems like, oh, this didn't really sell it to me. You could have said, you know, and, and Am has lots of synonyms, right? Could have, there are lots of, you know, Mikol HaGoyim Vichol HaAmin. Could have said that. Larry? Only in that the, the Am doesn't necessarily refer to their culture, their learning, their concept of God. Okay. Someone may capture that aspect of it. Okay, more like culture. Out of all, we would call it, out of all nations, in our English, in our English idioms today, we might say out of all nations and cultures. Okay. All right, good. And I don't think I can think of some rabbinic Hebrew word that would really be the equivalent of when we say, you know, Jewish culture, Torah culture. I, I, don't, I, I don't think there's another obvious word that we would use. I mean, there is in modern Israeli, but, it, but not in rabbinic Hebrew or biblical Hebrew. Okay, Meyer, you want to you wanna say other things? I want to say with respect to the word name. Yeah. Isn't it also part of the second commandment in the way God refers to himself? Yes. Uh, uh, I think that becomes a, an, an important part of that. And the second thing is a part of this whole is a great intro, I think, to the last piece because ultimately it's about salvation and what it is. And it seems like there's a bilateral relationship. We do something for salvation and then you... So it's not automatic. It's not like something that we just get. Um, and, uh, and what we're basically praying for, I think, is that we're going to be able to follow the footsteps appropriately and that we'll be, and then we pray that we'll be able to, re- to rejoice in salvation. It doesn't say, you know, because could also be when, right? He could also be when we have trusted. Yep. So yep. not necessarily because we trust. Or, yeah, or if we have. Yep. If we have. Yep. Good. Okay. Um, Michael Harris? Yes, I have a couple of comments on the exact same two things that were just brought up. First of all, I like the use of the word shame because it's a, it's a level of, of abstraction away from from God, God himself. And since we cannot see God and God is incorporeal, it, it reminds us of that every time we say shame rather than God. Good. I, I, sorry to interrupt. I just want to point out that also what God has given us, the way we relate to, we relate to God, is an abstraction. Right, because what God has given us, the Torah, is instructions which are words, okay, which are an 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 abstraction also. So we relate to some abstract aspect of God. None of us gets to see God directly or shake hands or anything like that. God doesn't force us to do anything by like grabbing your hand and making you right. So God relates to us through an abstraction, language. Okay, Torah instruction, which is through language. Um, And this is our way of accessing some abstract aspect of God, given that Judaism believes that you can't access God directly. Michael, go on. Sorry to interrupt. With regard to Nagila and Venismaha, I think of happiness as being an emotion and it's internal. And I think of joy, certainly rejoice, 
as being an outward expression. So I think it is suggesting to be a feeling of happiness and to show it. Okay, good. So you, you gave us all this stuff. If we keep it, it'll be good. Bring us from all the four corners of the earth because you are the Savior God. And you picked us, right, out of all the nations to bring us close to you. Um, don't ask me why Selah is there. I have no idea. So what, what, is the, what happens when we are brought closer? What are we supposed to be doing? We are acknowledging you, lahodot. It's the same as the word todah, todah Thank you, but it really means to acknowledge. Okay? We acknowledge you and unify you, whatever that means, lovingly. So this is clear now. Who's doing the love in this one? We are. Right? So it's reciprocal love. God loves us by giving Torah. We're supposed to love you back by acknowledging, worshiping, and unifying your name, or, or unify you. Um, now, presumably, to unify has something to do with what we're about to do in five seconds, which is we say, We are unifying God's name, and now I'm going to be non-Kabbalistic. Okay, Kabbalistically, it would mean, you know, you're combining the Yud-K with the Vav-K, the male with the female to, you know. But I think in a simpler level, it means to proclaim God's unity, right? Which I think means, again, to proclaim that the forces that underlie the running of the universe are one. Okay, that's the anti-pagan Statement, Not that there are forces fighting against each other and that it's chaos, right? Or a struggle between good and evil or light and dark or anything like that, but rather one fundamental unity underlining, underlying it all. So, Baruch HaTashem, HaBocher Bamo Yisrael, you selected us lovingly, okay? So, again, what's clear here is that there are two, I don't want to say, um, they're not synonyms, but parallel concepts. The parallel concepts are bichira, chosenness, and ahava, love. Okay? And we start with ahava, and we close with ahava, but the embodiment of ahava, the embodiment of God's relationship to us, is God picked us to give us the Torah as our guidance, and we are saying it could either be factual and predictive or aspirational that if we live Torah, right, which is our mission, right, that's why we were, that's, that's how we were brought close to God by being given Torah. If we live that, then we will not be, uh, we will not stumble, we will not be humiliated and Again, statement of fact, future prediction or aspirational, and we will be gathered into our land, right, uh, and saved. You have been listening you know, to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic Pull center for conservative Judaism for in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.